everyone, and welcome to Capes, Cows, and Masks, the show where we uncover the world of soups and science fiction. I'm your host, Jay Cart. I'm a podcaster, a sound designer, a messiah, a prophet, and a god to all of you. And today I'm joined by my fellow disciples. Hi, it's uh, Tom Garber here, your comic book shogun and the one true god. I will not I will not have this. I will not you, you miss one week, Jake, and you come back with a bigger ego than ever. I will not stand for this. Um I'm the one true god. And uh, we have another co host as well. Dave. <laughs> when you start the world anew all you need is a dave yeah, he is the greatest amongst mm-hmm. us it, it is, is true it is known. dave dave yeah. dave <laughs> uh so this is our weekly news show breaking down and discussing all the biggest stories that have hit the webs and as always we're going to have our pull list at the end of the show but be- but before we get into all of that how are you guys, Dave? How are you with moving? It's slowly coming together, I can see. You weren't with us uh, last week. Oh, yeah, I'm just so tired. <laughs> like, it's uh, it's been a busy time. Um, I'm going away soon, so that means that there's, like, a lot more work on. And, yeah, I decided yesterday, after a long day in work, it was a good idea to put my desk together, which was, like, a bad idea for, like, my body <laughs> today when I was working. I was like, oh. This desk requires you to kind of like assemble it, you know, with screws and metal and kind of on its side. And you have to like lift it all up. But just as well I did because now I can use it for, for this podcast. How about you, Tom? What have you been up to? Uh, I have been just recovering from a terrible bout of flu. I'm coming off the tail of that end of it. Now, a cold, a I've cold, Tom. Have you, have you been in bed? Have you been bedridden? <laughs> I, I have been bed Could you get I out have. of bed? Could you walk? Uh, why are you, well, I don't I'm know. Sorry. I was having this conversation doctor? today. And some, are you my doctor? Some, somebody was like, oh, I'm having my flu shot da, 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 and all this. I was like, I've never had the flu. He was like, yeah, a lot of people say they have, they've had the flu, but the flu is really bad. And I was like... It's like you missed you miss the one week we talk about Doctor Who. Now you come in here <laughs> acting like a doctor. This is shameful <laughs> behavior. Um, but yeah, no, it's been it's been good. I've been catching. Well, I say catching up. I've been rewatching The Wire, as everyone on my Twitter will know, because I'm obsessed with that show. And uh, I kind of wanted to do it anyway. And then obviously Michael K. Williams passed away, so I felt the time was right. I've been loving it so far. Um, as a result, I have not been reading many comic books. I should really get back on that. But between illness and watching The Wire, just not had the time. Unlike Dave, I made sure the flat I got was uh, furnished, so I haven't had to put any desks together. I, I went in the room, there was a desk there, there was a bed there, cupboards. It was great, man. Great. Even if it was furnished, I'd probably still be there, like, organizing Blu-rays and <laughs> pieces of furniture that I just wanted myself, which like, this is not good enough. <laughs> Tuck, I, was, know, like... I was about to say, I'd see that furniture and be like, this has got to go. I've got to, <laughs> I've got to have my stuff in here. <laughs> I'm a simple man with simple tastes. Just uh, making your way through the galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got my TV. I've got my Xbox. I've got my PC. I've got all my comic books. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty happy. That's all I need. Really. That's all you need in life, Tom. I think, I think if people followed suit like you, they would be a lot happier as well. Yeah, I'm pretty zen. Pretty zen. Um, I have been reading. Uh, my, my June read-through continue, continues. I'm on Chapter House June, the final novel by Frank Herbert. And I'm, I'm very skeptical about going into the last two books because they were written by a son, which are 
all the books by his son are very uh, controversial, you could say, amongst the Dune fandom. So half the people hate it and say it's not canon, and the other half are like, yeah, it's all right. Um, so we'll see. We'll see where we go into that. But I have been watching stuff, finally. Everything's moved in. I finally found some time to watch some stuff. So I went to the cinema and saw No Time to Die. That was a blast seeing that in the cinema. is definitely worth the wait and touches on a story we will get into a bit later. Um, but I did manage to catch the last episode of What If, where, you know, What If Ultron won. won. And next week, guys, we're going to be doing a full spoiler review of the whole series. But I got to say, guys, that last episode, Dave, I don't know how caught up you are. My God, that was definitely, for me anyway, the best episode yet. Just cape shit at its finest. It was so good. I know you you as well uh, enjoyed it, Tom. It, it was literally just like they pulled some shit out of the comics. I mean, obviously won't go into too much now, but what an episode. It had me completely on the edge of my seat the entire time. Just any every time I thought it can't blow my mind anymore. It was like, oh oh, it just my mind just got blown again. Crazy, crazy stuff, and I can't wait for the finale this week. Mm, yeah, same, same. And I've and I've also managed to catch the first four episodes of Why the Last Man. Uh, Tom, have you managed to catch any yet? I've my friend put on like the episode half an hour, the first episode half an hour before we started recording. So I was just kind of sat there like, "You piece of shit!" As soon as like this podcast is done, I'm going to just be like, "All right, try guys," and then I'm going down. I'm going to watch the rest of the episode and maybe binge the rest as well. Uh, it's it's bingeable. I watched all I watched all four of them in a. Not in like one sitting, but within a day. Um, so it's definitely a bingeable show. I'm enjoying it, man. I will say, uh, Tom, because you've read the comics, they are, it's very different to the comics in a lot of ways. I figured they might be going in a sort of different direction to the it comics. Is, but... It is a very different direction. and But still keeping to like the core of what the story's trying to say, but it's adding a lot of extra depth and themes to it. And um, I'm really liking it. It's really well made. It's funny, though, that the only criticism I have is that, so, you know, the premise, this is not spoiler, the premise is, obviously, <clears throat> everything with a Y chromosome has passed away due to some sort of virus, except for one guy called Yorick and his pet monkey. So, you know, it's a show full of women, and but the whole sort of premise of the show is, this guy is so special, what's so special about him? He's the key to all of this. But yet he's the least interesting character of the whole show, I'll say. Like all the other like female characters and their storylines are so much more interesting. So when we're going away from them and back to him, who's technically the lead character, I'm a bit like, oh no, which doesn't bode well for your show if your lead character is the least interesting. So that was that's only my my little criticism. Well, yeah, no, a I, bit of a criticism. I, I kind of see where you're coming from because there's been a number of shows. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there's definitely been shows I've watched where it's been a similar effect, where just, like, it cuts to the main guy, and I'm just like, uh. You know what? To a degree, when I first, like, watched through the Lord of the Rings trilogy, that's kind of how I felt towards Frodo. Every time it cut to Frodo, I'd just be like, well, no, because I want more of the stuff with Aragorn and Legolas, and, like, I want to see what, like, Pippin and Merry are up to. I want to see all, all this other stuff. Now, I love it just as much as everything else, but... Yeah, it's it's it doesn't really bode well when your lead character is the least interesting part of your show. So hopefully, 
I mean, maybe maybe I'll watch it and maybe I'll think differently to you. Maybe it's a subjective thing, but um, equally they could just maybe just later on in the season you'll get some more interesting plot threads and maybe that'll help. But uh, yeah, I can't wait to watch the rest of it, basically. After the first 20, 30 minutes I just saw. Yeah, it's pretty good. So, uh, yeah, that's it then. So let's uh, go into the news. Terra page one, run that photo instead. Headline? Spider-Man, hero or menace? Exclusive Daily Bugle photo. Okay, so uh, our first story then. This is a story that we've discussed before. It's been going on for a couple of weeks now, and that is that Disney and Scarlett Johansson have settled their lawsuit. So after two months, Scarlett Johansson and Disney uh, have been debating over the release strategy for the latest MCU film, Black Widow. So while the terms of this settlement have not been disclosed, there are some rumors about how much she's got paid. It appears that both of them have recognized that their strength when they work together is much better than being against each other. And both of them have made statements that bode well for their professional relationship. So Scarlett Johansson had this, had this to say. I am happy to have resolved our differences with Disney. I'm incredibly proud of the work we've done together over the years and have greatly enjoyed my creative relationship with the team. I look forward to continuing our collaboration in years to come. And then Alan Bergman, the Disney chairman, said, I'm very pleased that we have been able to come to a mutual agreement with Scarlett Johansson regarding Black Widow. We appreciate her contributions to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and look forward to working together on a number of upcoming projects, including Disney's Tower of Terror. So, Dave, I go to you first about this. Um, what do you make of all this? Do you think this is good that they've, you know, shook and shake hands? People have been paid, whoever needs to be paid, and they're going to continue working together in the future? Or do you think there's something else behind this? Could there be... Does this sort of put a little damper on Disney's reputation? Sounds a bit sinister to, like, is there something else behind this? <laughs> an evil <laughs> plot of some sort. Uh, no, I think, it, you know, I think it was the right decision on Disney's part. You know, I don't see it as, like, oh, yeah, you know, this this is great. I think it's just... It's something that maybe shouldn't have happened in the first place. I was definitely on Scarlett Johansson's side uh, in this whole scenario. And yeah, I think that there's been a lot of realizations by movie studio execs and studios in general. Um, you know, I'm just not very happy with, you know, a lot of the state of the industry at the moment anyway. And I think that obviously we have a lot of news that we're talking about and a lot of things that are happening, which is good news. And and pointing us in the right direction but as i mentioned before you know i still have my worries over the way that they're working things and trying all these different experiments and um i think the in you know the studios are taking advantage a bit you know when you look at something like streaming which is very much untested in terms of like measurement of success and how they pay talent you know you look at something like Star Trek, the original series, or you look at shows in which people, you know, or even like characters in which they say, you are using my likeness, you know, so you are profiting off that. Therefore, I will get money for that for the rest of my life. That's not really happening anymore. And I think that it is fair game for those actors and actresses to start saying that they want, they want a cut of that because, you know, if a character is then going to be used, like, you know, Mary Poppins, for example, for the lifetime of that character then if you oh every time you see mary poppins it's going to look like the julie andrews version so she would have a claim over that part of the character so i think it's going to be the same when you're dealing with characters like black widow or captain marvel 
numerous streaming shows etc when all of this is happening if talent just gets paid and then never sees a dime of it afterwards then it's it's not really a good incentive and it also just is you know greed on the the studio's part um especially when you look at things like sitcoms as well which have also had the fact that say members of friends or big bang theory can live out the rest of their days without doing any of the work just because they can just reap the benefits of the uh, money that comes off syndication from shows being showed again so all of this kind of is a step in the right direction for how streaming giants can't just go like oh well we can change the rule book now and i think that this shows the studios one are realizing that they can't get away with it and two the talent is realizing oh hang on you're like stealing thousands and thousands of pounds of us and something quickly i want to say as well is when this did first come out i think it was really shoddy of disney because a lot of people did jump on board that train of thought of going oh we think it's really disrespectful that scott johansson has done this during a pandemic in which we were like forced to do this and stuff and a lot of people did go on board with that narrative because they were like yeah they're right what a you know b-i-t-c-h you know of scarlett johansson to be there doing that doing a pandemic how dare she and all this and that was purely constructed by their pr team and stuff which i think was quite disgusting to be honest so i think i'm glad that they've done this to kind of almost go you know what actually maybe we were wrong um and it's not worth fighting this because it's not going to go away you know as soon as even if you didn't give Scarlett Johansson her money, well, what's going to happen to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Emma Stone, all these other people in the future, which then will make projects with you. You put on your streaming service and go, you'll never see another month, bit of that money ever again, uh, which talent is just not going to do. You know, we've seen again with Christopher Nolan, he's literally gone, I will not work with this studio again after they've burned so many directors with Warner Brothers. And the CEO has actually said, we made a mistake I shouldn't have been so hasty to put everything onto HBO Max. So don't burn your bridges. And I suppose it's good for them because they know that they're going to make Tower of Terror with uh, Scott Janssen, which I think a lot of people are happy with. So yeah, definitely the right decision. You didn't want to be dragging this out. I don't think anybody wanted to see this whole legal battle stretched out. And um, yeah, I hope uh, Disney has realized the mistakes they made. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the guy from Warner Brothers as well, because... I was going to mention that I think the main problem with all these studios and this streaming thing is that it's just been very reactionary to, obviously, the pandemic as well as other things that have been happening around the world. And it's it seems like, the, you know, the investors are like, well, what are you going to do about these films? And they're like, uh, we'll put it here. You know what I mean? And they've just very reacted and say, we have to do this. Let's do it now. Let's get it in the books. And not really thinking about the talent behind it first. You know what I mean? Warner Brothers, a lot of directors came out and were like, what the hell? And then we've seen it with Disney. And then Disney doesn't also have a good track record with the projects they've put on Disney+, Plus, all of them being led by females. And then I think it's also interesting that, because you also mentioned Dwayne Johnson, uh, Dave, that he seemed pretty cool with it. And that's because he had a prearranged deal with Disney when they decided that this was going to go in Disney+. Plus. So he also got, he got a little bit of money uh, beforehand. Um, so I find it interesting that Scarlett Johansson sued Disney and uh, Emma Stone sued Disney, but Emily Blunt was another one. Now, how come Dwayne Johnson had got paid before the hand, but Emily Blunt ended up suing Disney as well? So that, that, that's uh, concerning there. So I do think it, they, it's good that they've you know, shaken hands and moving on. 
But I do think people need to be careful. And I, you know, with these big corporations now, they need to be careful with how they treat their talent. Because a lot of talent now is looking at these big corporations and going, you know what? Maybe I don't want to work with you anymore because of X, Y, and Z. And then that's not going to bode well for them in the future. But like I said, I'm glad they're shaking hands and they're moving on between this. Let's just get this out of the way now. We're going to talk about things later about how the pandemic is moving away from all this and cinemas are coming back. But um, Tom, what do you make of all this? Yeah, I'm quite happy to see that uh, obviously they've settled their differences in quite a good way. The fact that they're still willing to work together afterwards, I think that is a good sign that uh, Scarlett probably did get her dues. I know we don't have like official figures on like what she got, but yeah, it's it's just, it's good news overall, especially as as you guys said, Disney definitely mishandled it at the start by basically coming out and attacking Scarlett Johansson's character, blaming it all on the pandemic, trying to make her out to be this uh, bad person for doing this. Um, but I think it kind of also links back to something I said last week when we were talking about, uh, obviously, like the Ditko estates uh, suing Marvel um, and then them counter-suing straight away. It just seems to be like just this weird tactic that Disney and Marvel have where just they initially go like massively on the defensive or even on the attack, but then it just always ends up being quite an amicable split. So just like part of me is wondering if, even though it was still handled poorly and shouldn't have been done, that was just their way of just going like, right, our bottom line is like, you know, we don't think we should have to pay you anything. So then when they actually do pay out, it makes it look like, okay, you know, makes it look a bit better in that way. I don't know. But hopefully it will set a good precedent for the future. The stars are going to get paid for their work fairly. Because, again, it does touch on what I was saying last week, that just if you're not paying the artists fairly, then the artists will find work elsewhere. And this will happen in comics. This will happen in movies and TVs. Like, people don't want to stop keep working for Marvel Studios because of all this stuff, they'll start doing films with A24 or they'll go over to other studios and just do other things. So yeah, I think it's 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 promising at least that this has ended so swiftly and so amicably. Gives me hope that maybe the whole thing with uh, the Ditko estate can also be solved quickly and amicably and that's fair to all parties. Just because I think, I think Disney kind of needs to just to... Uh, control the damage because like they have had some damage from this i mean the ditko estate doesn't really affect disney in a way but people are lumping it together with them i have noticed like over facebook so like mo like people who aren't like looking at it fully they're just like lumping the two together so disney have taken a hit on that they did take a hit on the johansson thing so hopefully they can just like start earning back some trust and maybe like hopefully people will focus more on the the good side of it, like the fact that they are doing a lot more for diversity now, um, even though it has taken them a while. And yeah, just hopefully just we'll see a bit more fairness and equality all around there and we'll have less bad Disney slash Marvel stories because we really do anyway. Um, it's, it's never nice when we have to badmouth them, but sometimes we have to. I was going to say, not just those two, and not as serious as those two, but also the Simu Liu incident as well. That, w that wasn't great for, for Disney either. So, Dave, what's our next story then? So, uh, sticking with Marvel, Sam Raimi has got candid on why he made Doctor Strange 2 after the awful reaction to Spider-Man 3. So, 
Raimi spoke frankly about the mental challenges faced when considering a return to Marvel filmmaking and why those challenges ultimately motivated him. He's been quoted as saying, Bitch, really? Did you want me to... No, I'm joking. Uh, (laughs) After all the flack I got, you want me to come back? How dare you? No. Do you know how much I sacrificed? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So he says that I didn't know that I could face it again because it was so awful having been the director of Spider-Man 3. The internet was getting revved up and people disliked that movie and they sure let me know about it. So it was difficult to take back on. But then I found out that there was an opening on Doctor Strange 2. My agent called me and said they're looking for a director and my name had come up. So he asked me if I was interested. I thought, I wonder if I could still do it. And he knows that those films are really demanding. But that is ultimately why he felt that it was reason enough that he should go back. And he's always liked the character of Doctor Strange. Uh, He was not his favorite, but I think it's pretty obvious that Spider-Man was. He he was right up there with his favorites, however. Uh, He loved the first movie. He thought that Scott Derrickson did a wonderful job. And yeah, he felt that the character is in a good place. So he didn't think that... I didn't think... So he's quoted saying, I didn't think I would be doing another superhero movie. It just happened. Uh, Then he sort of goes on to talk about the improvisation that has been going on on set um, and a lot of the love he has for like, you know, Ben to Cumberbatch and the visuals and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, some really interesting ideas and sort of notions come up here because we're dealing with a kind of legacy director, which has been from the beginning of, you know, the superhero resurgence of, of movies really, you know, and that was what was interesting about him doing uh, multiverse of madness and we're now hearing about a director who's faced the backlash as well of uh, fans which yeah spider-man 3 was one of those first movies as he says the internet was just getting started up and yeah people really like have since gone hard on that film i'm like a spider-man 3 apologist obviously you know being a fan of the original trilogy i by no means think it is like an amazing movie you know it's obviously got its problems but um yeah i do feel for for raimi when he is saying about like all the flack that he got uh which ultimately put him off making spider-man 4 and you know he may have came back to marvel sooner had that not happened so uh yeah, think about how you act on the internet. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so what do you guys think of this? Uh, how are you feeling towards Multiverse of Madness after hearing this? Obviously, there's also been talks of like reshoots and that kind of stuff and test audiences. It's clear that obviously he was a fan of what Derrickson did. He's not going to sort of like change the formula and change it up completely. Uh, but I think we know the type of filmmaker he is, that there will be something which is more ambitious and more bold. Uh, Tom, what do you think? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's always sad to hear um, actors or directors when they talk about the sort of negative sides of uh, fan interactions because um, people did go in quite hard on Spider-Man 3. I'll admit that um, I've said some harsh things about it in the past. Don't think I have on the internet, though, mainly just like when talking about the film with people. But you do, you do get people who seem to go out of their way to let people know that they didn't like how they did x film or y film so i can imagine that that's like pretty disheartening especially after his first two films received so much love and adoration um so i can totally get why that would have put him off making spider-man 4 or making superhero films in general 
but it is good to have him back. And as soon as I heard that he was tapped for Doctor Strange 2, I was like, okay, okay, that's that is like an inspired, inspired choice. And I'm really excited to see what he'll do with the film. I think like Dave said, he'll probably try and keep it. He probably won't try and change Scott Derrickson's formula too much just to make sure the film is like in line with all that. But I can also see him adding his own spin to it. And um, I'm looking forward to, for the uh, inevitable Bruce Campbell cameo. That's uh, That's got to happen, surely. Um, and yeah, just hearing about like uh, how he's enjoying his time on the set and uh, about the allowance for improvisation. And they, uh, it just, it paints a picture of a film that's going to be really, really quite fun to watch. And I think you'll be able to tell from it like how fun it was to make. Um, obviously, like, that's just like speculation until we actually see some footage for the damn thing. Um, but yeah, I'm tentatively excited, happy to have Raimi back, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, it'll be a better experience for him this time around. Well, I'm thinking about now as well that Bruce Campbell cameo could be, and I kind of want it to be like. It's either going to be Ash or a multiversal Mysterio. It, it no, has to be one of the two. Or both. No, considering he's done Spider Man and the fact that we're getting, you know, whatever far from home but essentially a spider-verse film um you could have the opportunity to bring in like his you know a character from the raimi film so maybe like a character is like going to go through some sort of portal and like he's just there like uh uh, uh, uh tie <laughs> uh shoes <laughs> and then they go to go through like can i help you <laughs> so... well that's the thing because like the original plan was like bruce campbell had cameos in all three of the spider-man films because raimi wanted to bring him in as mysterio in Spider-Man 4. So, like, bring him in as a multiversal Mysterio. It would be so funny. But then have him come in as Ash and kill that Mysterio. <laughs> and then that'll be the greatest... That would be the greatest scene in cinematic history. Definitely what Marvel would have put to screen. I can tell you. <laughs> uh, Jake, what do you think? Yeah. Um, first of all, like, I don't know if he's been on the internet lately, but if he thought they were bad in 2007... <laughs> oh, boy. For his sake, I hope he doesn't make a bad film because the internet is a lot worse now. Well, to be fair, he did say the internet was getting revved up, so I think he probably knows that it was like quite... <laughs> yes, it's, a, it's an interesting place now, the internet. But um, no, other than that, I'm glad that he was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to take the leap and try this. Get back in the game, you could say. And the fact that he does seem to have a like for this, a love for this character. I will say, though, I think he's doing something different to Scott Derrickson. Otherwise, Scott Derrickson would be doing the movie because we initially heard that he had left on, you know, the classic creative differences. So obviously there was something that between him and Marvel and the direction they wanted to take this film, they weren't seeing eye to eye. So the way I look at it is that Marvel approached, well, they said, we're looking for a director. Raimi put his name in the hat and was like, hey, what have you got? They presented him what they wanted to do. And then he was like, cool, I can gel with that and then just add his style and flair to what the MCU already has planned. But because the MCU is such a machine now that, you know, it is unfortunate to say because you can just get a director and put them in whatever film you want them to do. But, but at the same time, you want to find the right director for that project because they bring a certain style and flair to what you see it, that film becoming. Um, but with this one, I feel as if 
the differences between Marvel Studios and Scott Derrickson is why I think he's going to be doing something completely different to what we saw in the first film. Still keeping that tone of Doctor Strange, because that the same tone of Doctor Strange is consistent even throughout the Avengers films or who he is. Apart from that No Way Home trailer, but we'll see what happens there in December. Um, I still think we'll we'll have the Doctor Strange that we know. I just think this film's going to be very different, but I'm still very excited for it. I'm more excited for this than I am for No Way Home. Just the prospect of Wanda obviously coming into the fold as well. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, and I like the, the you know the the he's talking about the improvisation on set and stuff like that because he goes on to say that it, these are really big productions and there's so much money going on. The fact that they can take the moment to go, why don't we just press pause here, play about with it, don't worry about the schedule and stuff like that. Let's see if we can come up with something better. That just goes to the core of filmmaking, I think. So and even when you have this big project that they still manage the f manage to find the time to do that. It's really nice to hear. So uh, yeah, that's that's my two cents on the on the matter. Oh, I would say I, I would disagree in that I think that directors etc. like just come in and sort of fill that space because you know I think Marvel has said before that they kind of will do it as a kind of like pitch us the idea what do you think this film should be. I think that's true maybe in the case of something like Ant Man or Thor and the Dark World. Uh, those were very much those were projects that were pitched and worked on and then left for creative grounds so you might be right in the sense that like this idea is already formulated and then they've disagreed with scott derrickus derrickson about the trajectory um and then they've brought in somebody who will see that through but i don't think we would have ever had something like ragnarok guardians of the galaxy black panther all of these films if it wasn't for the pitching and the ideas of the directors. I think more the I I think what most people think of when it's like, oh, all the Marvel films are the same. I think it's more like visually wise, the fact that they're all shot digitally, the the VFX all looks the same, you know, very similar like cinematography, um, a lot of like the same jokes and stuff through the writing. But ultimately like the actual story and the ideas, I think, still come a lot from the directors. You know, the fact that they are pitched like these films like Captain Marvel was like pitched to them the idea of Captain Marvel was pitched to them by those directors out of different pitches for those films and that's why they went with the two directors they did so um whereas I think obviously ones like Ant-Man as I mentioned Thor The Dark World you know those had like Patty Jenkins was on Thor and Edgar Wright was on Ant-Man so I think that those were quite different in that somebody else was coming in to fill those shoes but as you said I, I can't see that Raimi would be that type of director I think why I think was the contentious part was potentially that S Scott Derrickson, I imagine, wanted to make a Doctor Strange 2, and I think the Marvel wanted to make a Multiverse of Madness film. I think that that's maybe where they clashed, and Sam Raimi could go in and go, hey, isn't this fun? I've been in the Marvel universe of some form before, so I can come and uh, have fun with this multiverse stuff and this cinematic universe and show alternate versions of things and, like, put some of my horror stuff in there maybe put a bit of my spider-man stuff in there just for a bit of fun so he would have fun with that whereas probably derrickson was not interested in that probably the same reason you know edgar wright left ant-man he was like i'm not interested in having this like shield uh you know mcu stuff come into it he just wanted to tell an ant-man film so um that that probably was like the the contentious part i imagine but but yeah as far as the you know, I, I do feel for the guy, like I said before, with uh, the Spider-Man 3 stuff. I think 
to me that has always seemed like studio meddling at its very worst very much like he's always said he did he had no interest in venom he didn't want to put venom in the film they forced him to put venom in the film um obviously we knew like with spider-man 4 he's planning to do like lizard etc as tom said there were characters that he was building up in those films that you would have seen later so i think there's understandable that he was like burned from a lot of that kind of stuff and yeah which is unfortunate because it's the same sort of stuff you get with star wars it's just people of like oh he did a goofy dance it's like well how does that like define the entire film (laughs) (laughs) we'll see i guess i mean that's going to be coming out very soon march next year Mm. very excited what we got next then tom Oh, what have we got next? Uh, so, the first House of the Dragon trailer um, has dropped. Uh, that's for the new Game of Thrones prequel series that's coming from uh, HBO. And it's revealed a new Iron Throne design as well. So it's based on the George R. R. Martin books. House of Dragon will take you back 200 years into the past to a time when Daenerys' ancestors of House Targaryen ruled Westeros. However, there is conflict brewing within the house that leads up to a civil war, which would later be known as the Dance of Dragons. Um, so the little tease trailer we got, there's a lot of white hair in there. A lot <laughs> of white hair. Briefly, you get to see Matt Smith. I'm pretty sure that's Matt Smith's character talking in the trailer. That is him narrating, yeah. Yeah, uh, the speakers on my phone went great, so I, I wasn't 100% sure. But um, I think it looks promising enough. I mean, nothing that like immediately made me go, oh, hello, I, I need to watch this, but I'm in it just for some Targaryen madness. Uh, the Dance of Dragons, that Civil War, there's a whole lot of story in there that I'd be excited to see on the screen. Yeah, just uh, I'm tentatively excited, but I think as a as far as teaser trailers go, maybe not the most wowing. Um, but I'm definitely interested to see where the series goes. Uh, what do you guys make of it, Dave? I, I saw your tweet earlier simply saying meh, so uh, I'll uh, go to you <laughs> first. Do you want to... Uh, expand on that well first of all wowing is definitely the phrase used when uh talking about uh owen wilson in uh in sofa adverts <laughs> wow wow so uh yeah you know i'd be lying if again i saw elements of this and was like kind of excited and was like you know taken aback by some of the scale and just getting into you know aside from cape shit there's your fantasy shit you know it's that kind of Ooh, dragons and i think there was that shot where it was like two knights fighting and it looked like proper medieval the kind of stuff you used to get when you were a kid like you know the ridiculous looking you know helmets which are like shaped like birds and dragons and that kind of stuff Big feathers on them yeah so that i saw and was like okay you know i am getting excited this is cool but i'm still just it's like when they announced this it was like okay that just seems like a very predictable avenue for them to go down to carry on uh, game of thrones in some shape or form and then you hear things like matt smith cast and you're like oh okay and you see like set photos of it and you're just like okay it's just matt smith in like a blonde wig you know so what it's just and i think it's just that this teaser then just kind of replicated those same feelings to me there was nothing in there which i was like oh wow you know there was nothing like new there was nothing unexpected at all there was nothing really original there was nothing to me that said like oh my god you need to watch this apart from the fact that it's just game of thrones and i think that they are underestimating how burned people felt by that finale because you know again i get i don't know if we've ever really spoke about it on the show but you know i still 
I'm so, so bitter about that end series. You know, I know some people are just like, oh, yeah, he had a rough, like, last two seasons. But, like, no, like, it was it was a bit rough when we were watching it. But, like, after I watched it, I was just, like, I was just so mad. And I'm still, like, not over it. And I'm, like, really angry. And then I see it and I'm like, you know what? You, uh, when it was coming out, when the show came out, I thought, like, there's no way you can, like, mess this up. They've done so well for so many seasons. And they did. And uh, I just think when a channel or, you know, studio drops the ball that much, I just don't know if you can go back as quickly. Maybe I just have, that is a theme within my life, you know, similar to, you know, we're talking about Spider-Man 3, you know, they kind of drop the ball there and then they immediately go and reboot Spider-Man like only like two, three years later. And it's just, you know, I think other studios and film companies have sometimes gone, let's just stay away from that for a while and i think in some ways they would have been better doing that because uh the only thing like i said i'll give this credit for is that i saw some of the fantasy fantasy stuff thought it looked cool some of the designs wasn't overly impressed by the chair actually i thought it was cool that i saw it and thought oh that looks like the book but um i just kind of thought it looked like what it was in the show and they've just stuck on some more like super glued some more swords (laughs) on the end (laughs) so i was a bit like uh um so it seemed to be fan servicey in that sense. But the designs looked cool. The sets looked awesome. The designs looked good. And I also liked the fact that you had the diversity in there in which you had like dark skinned uh, actors who still had like this sort of typical white hair and stuff. Because I know when that casting was announced, there was a lot of uh, arseholes on the internet being like, this doesn't make sense. It's like, it's in a fantasy world. Go fuck yourselves. So when you see them in this trailer, you're kind of like, that look you know they look awesome they look epic they look like they deserved you know they belong in that world and in some ways you know that kind of made it a bit more like ooh, you know who are these you know like are they a different faction it made it a bit more intriguing as to because it's you know even in game of thrones we didn't really get too many characters of color either so that maybe would have been something nice to, to play up a bit bigger but apart from that and the designs i was still like i said on twitter a bit meh about the entire thing oh strong words well well i said meh is not really (laughs) words from dave there uh jake uh what what do you think and uh are you as equally burned as me and dave are from the uh ending of game of thrones i am and i really don't know how to follow dave because i feel as if he perfectly encapsulated how i felt about this teaser as well where i was watching it and i was going sure like the fantasy stuff looks epic i'm always down for knights fighting and dragons and all of that sort of stuff but at the same time i was like this just feels like another season of game of thrones like it feels and looks exactly the same and i felt as if if you're gonna do a spin-off show at least make it look a bit different from what you've previously done considering how burnt people are and yes i am one of those people that was extremely burnt not so much by season seven, but season eight, definitely. I was just like, what the hell are you, what are you doing here? And I was giving this show the benefit of the doubt because first of all, they did announce it before season eight, this show. So it was already in development. So they thought that Game of Thrones was going to be, you know, it's going to keep the hype going and everyone's going to be into all this sort of stuff. And I don't think they were expecting that response from season eight. So they thought, well, we're so in development now, we just have to go with it. So I'll be really interested to see how this show does um, with the fandom and in pop culture in general, because 
I'm going to watch it because I always watch something that's fantasy based, you know. But I'm really curious if the greater fandom are like Game of Thrones. Nah, I can't be bothered with that stuff. Stuff, and then they do one season or two, and then they're like, nah, like it's not working. The Game of Thrones is not at the level where we want it to be anymore because they were so burnt by those last two seasons. Because and and we've got Lord of the Rings and The Witcher on the cards now. That's as well. that's what I mean. I I feel as if they're and just of time. yes, and <coughs> we're time. Oh, let yes, Tom. Um, <laughs> I feel as if they just looked at it and go, oh my God, Lord of the Rings is coming. The Witcher's out. That was really popular. We need to be out there to compete. We don't want Game of Thrones to be forgotten about. And from everything I've seen so far, it's not like that single image of the Lord of the Rings series had me more excited about it than this whole sort of teaser. So that says a lot in itself. So we'll see what happens. But like I said, I'm really, I'm not the biggest Game of Thrones fans. I liked the show enough, but I wasn't like obsessed with it like a lot of people. So I'm just like, yeah, we'll see what happens. But I'm really intri- intrigued to see what the proper Game of Thrones fans think of this and if they're actually going to be tuning in or if they're that burnt that they can't be asked it's it's like weird that like in some ways though it doesn't feel like are there proper game of thrones fans there's obviously the people who read the books and everything like that and have you know waiting you know patiently for like the the sequel books etc but then in terms of like the actual like fans of the series you know those very much felt like people who just watch the series kind of thing it never seemed like a lord of the rings thing of like people who love lord of the rings watched the adaptations were like oh my god my dreams have come true kind of thing was it just seemed that like everyone who like on board with game of thrones were just like general tv watchers and i just felt because all of them were then so burned and pissed off by what happened i just don't really see much of an appetite for this and one thing i just wanted to mention as well was my biggest problem with this and i think is probably really bad on the type of like being burned aspect of it is that most people's problem was with the development of Daenerys and how her story ended and how that entire final you know few episodes went and how they tried to bring in like the mad queen stuff and all of this so then to like almost be reminded of that straight away by going like hey this is how the Targaryen started and I'm like whoa don't like remind me of that like I think at one point they said that like House of the Dragon and it was like some sort of series about like the first men or something was being Yeah, that got cancelled. Yeah, and I, I would have preferred that one over this. Not in, in the sense of like if you would say we were there at the end of season six, I would have been like, Yeah, sure, you know, Targaryen's awesome. But to to do it now after like ruining the the characters and the and the family essentially by saying like, Oh yeah, they all just die off anyway because they all succumb to madness. Uh it's like well, what's the point? Why do we need to see that? You know, it's not like Star Wars, like, oh, well, how did the Jedi, you know, like we know that the Jedi all become extinct, but how did they become extinct? What, you know, what led them to that? All of this kind of stuff. There's nothing like that, which I feel with this story. If you were going back even further back to like the old days, there may be with the Targaryens. And that's why I think it was more interesting with the first men. But to me, this just seems then too much of like poking, the, you know, the the scar of being like yeah this targaryens we know we messed them up but remember that blonde hair remember that stupid moment in which she made that stupid face and she went and burned everything for no reason like we're going to show you another character which looks exactly the same as them because it almost feels as if i'm seeing like the stories of like her brother or something it's like 
you know, as in the brother we saw in the series, not like his relatives and stuff. We're, we're getting Dave revved up for the main story. Like <laughs> I, I've been on the internet since uh, 2007 when Spider-Man 3 came out. So yeah, I've been revved up. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, anything you else you want to say about this? Um, uh, I, I honestly, I feel like Dave has like summed it up perfectly. There. Like I too would have so much preferred. Like I like I, I would have liked this Targaryen series maybe a bit down the line, but I was more interested in that like series on the first men. That that definitely piqued my interest a lot more. There was so much you could have done with that. Would you have preferred what's that book like? Something an egg. Dunkin. Dunkin egg. egg. Yeah. Like should yeah. they have done that? <laughs> I, that's one I've not actually read. I think. Uh, okay. So I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> I just always think of the like the old maester and he's dying. He's like egg, egg. <laughs> Basically, whenever they announce any Game of Thrones projects now, I'm just gonna be like, all right, is this something that George has finished writing about? Yes. Okay, then you can do <laughs> yeah. it. Has he finished writing about this? No. Don't do yeah. it. Don't do it. <laughs> Give it a few more years. But yeah, that's that's my thoughts on it. Uh, any final thoughts from you two, or should we? Move on to the main story. Well, my final thought is that I was thinking about rewatching the show <clears throat> Game of Thrones, and I was like, I'm gonna stop after season six. Yeah, I, think. I was about to say, <laughs> and just think, you know what? M- very much like the books, that ending will come at some point. <laughs> it's a happy ending that way. Daenerys is on her way to Westeros, and you can be like, yeah, I can imagine my yeah, own exactly. ending. I'll finish that story in the books. <laughs> or even even you watch up until the moment Jon Snow gets like stabbed and killed and then you stop there. That's where you stop. Ah uh, yeah, but then you just like get you're just pissed off at Ollie for the rest of your life then. Yeah, no. Uh, it's it's better than being pissed off at literally every other character. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that's it then. Uh, we'll go take a quick break and we'll get into our main story. Ready. We should be out there, snacking on bad guys. I am a predator. I need to be free. You have got to get control of your aggression, or you will get hauled off into Area 51. You live in my body. You live by my rules. I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. Please, let me fix it. So I can forget it again. You are a loser. Okay, and we're back, and we're here to discuss our main story, and that is Venom, Let There Be Carnage, pulls in 90 fucking million dollars in the biggest weekend since the pandemic started. Now, this is absolutely insane. So, it defied the even most extravagant projections. Like, they were projecting it to earn maybe 40, 50 million on its opening weekend. In the US, it has yet to come out internationally. And this is such a large hold that we got a little salty statement from the Sony chairman, Tom Rothman, <laughs> who said, We are pleased that patience and theatrical exclusives, exclusivity have been rewarded with record results. With apologies to Mr. Twain, <laughs> the death of movies has been greatly exaggerated. So the 90, 90.1 million opening weekend is the second best opening weekend in October behind Joker, which had 96.2 million in ni- 2019. And it is just ahead of Black Widow's second highest pandemic haul of 80.8 million in its opening weekend. So 
a huge opening weekend for this film, a film that all three of us have been like, we're not particularly looking forward to watching this one. Doesn't seem like our jam. The critics have seen it. We're getting, I would say, mixed, negative. Some people are loving it as well. It's a very mixed bag overall about what this uh, film is being received at. But it's pulled in this crazy number. And I have to say, it pains me to say it, so I think. <laughs> but I, I'm with Sony on this one. I think out of all the studios during the pandemic, even though they've delayed Bond like five million times, I think they've stuck to their guns and they've gone, no, all our films deserve a theatrical experience and we will wait for those films to have that theatrical experience. And by the looks of it, it seems to have worked for them. Because not only this film with 90 million, No Time to Die has come out to an astronomical 119 million internationally in its opening weekend, um, which is absolutely insane. So I think it's working from Sony's perspective, committing to the theatrical experience and holding on to these films, not putting them on streaming. Having said that, I did not expect this numbers to be coming out from Let There Be Carnage, a sequel to a film that already did very well. You know, I think it did about 88 million or no, yeah, something like 88 million in its opening weekend. Um, so I did not think the sequel would do better. I did not know the buzz for this film was as ex uh, was as hyped as we thought it was, but here we are. Um, I go to you, Dave. What do you make of all this? And do you think Sony made the right decision through the, through all this? Yeah, I think the Sony element is interesting. Obviously, like you said, I'm going to agree with them. And yeah, I think in, in any situation, I'm not going to say like, oh, you should have put it on streaming or anything like that. I'm always going to sort of champion when the cinemas are doing well and saying about why this is a good sign for theatrical releases being still relevant. But we also need like a small film to come out and do well to justify that point. It can't always just be this mega superhero blockbuster. We need something like even Dune, you know, like if Dune comes out, you know, it's a new franchise, that will be the big one to celebrate. So fingers crossed for that. But also I think the Sony is in a lot different a position, I think, than the other studios were. And as I've said before, you know, one, I think in terms of a studio, they're just nowhere near the sort of heights of Warner Brothers and Disney. You know, they're not there like Disney and Warner Brothers were in, you know, they had a slate of like five massive franchise movies coming up. They were quite lucky in the sense that a lot of the films that they had, because I don't, I don't really see Bond as like an actual Sony movie because it's obviously more of a distribution sort of deal. So in terms of talking about things like Let There Be Carnage and Ghostbusters and uh, Morbius, then I think that they weren't really project, you know, one like Venom, we hadn't even seen anything about that until the pandemic. Um, Ghostbusters was again like people have been waiting for a third Ghostbusters film for like decades so you know what was another like year or a few months and there was still an element of like oh you know I, I don't know it's you know it's it's still somewhat new it's a reboot so it's not like a sequel in which people are like oh I need to see this now you know I need to see this unfinished Black Widow story like, you know etc etc 
but also a lot of these projects you know aren't ones of diversity either you know and unfortunately for all you know disney and warner brothers hedge their bets a lot on very like risky projects with diversity at the forefront and i'm not to say to say that you know they shouldn't have done that or anything but the timing was just difficult because you know they had a lot of female-led films we've seen with you know shang chi etc even with eternals coming up they're all projects that have got a lot of like big ethnic and diverse casts and i think then if eternals you know i would say might come out somewhere near shang chi's like opening and might do lower than what venom let there be carnage is and that's not to say that that appetite is not there and you shouldn't make projects like that but it's just unfortunately sony is there with a film with like two white guys who are like two leading men and i think the ali plum the film critic for radio one put this best you know he said it's you know a film with like gloopy sludgy cgi which is a swift 90 minutes and is catered mainly to teenagers and i'm like yeah you know well that kind of sums it up because venom has always kind of been that project we mentioned joker and not say the joker is on the same like quality level but the same appeal is there it's still a lot of people who are like oh yeah joker you know like it's going to be violent there's still that appeal from them uh mortal Kombat was one of the biggest successes in terms of like watches on hbo max so it kind of makes sense that there is this big crowd out there of like younger audiences which are kind of into this more like silly violent content that would show up which might not show up for those more diverse projects so i think it makes sense from that point of view and i think that yeah while i might have thought it would have maybe taken about 60 70 million at the end of the day the first venom film did take whatever 700 800 million which was bizarre and crazy as it is so you know it it, it has got precedent for being a success and you know, I'm, I don't know, I'm not going to say it doesn't deserve it, you know, because again, like I said, I, I'm going to celebrate the success of cinema, but that's why I think Ali Plum was so spot on. You know, I look at this and go like, uh, you know, that doesn't look like my type of film, doesn't look like I'm going to enjoy it at all. But again, it's not like I've always like hated on things like the Fast and Furious franchise. It's just that I'm like, yeah, that's not my jam, you know, but I'm not there like scolding it for being like one of the biggest earning movies of the year so you know it'd be a similar situation with this one i think so fair play to them like you said it shows that that appetite is out there but i think just studios need to be a bit realistic of being like yeah this you know this shows that like everyone's back in like this all put these all these projects back out there again it, you know it depends on the project you shouldn't then put out eternals expecting possibly 120 million box office opening to go back to james bond i've never seen so much coverage of a film from the BBC in my entire life. The BBC has been like, I've never seen them like gush over a film like so much, like Bond, 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 Bond all the time. If only they had done that to like a film which, you know, had like an Asian lead in it. But so I think that's why it's very different when we're looking at these projects. And I don't think studios should look at this and just go like, yeah, this is going to do 120 million. It's like, why is that doing 90 million? So, very good. Keep putting th- films out theatrically. Keep doing it in this way. Stop doing this like hybrid thing. Stop doing this like on streaming, but also in theaters kind of thing. Just do it this way. It shows that the money is there, but um, it, it isn't like testament that this is going to make every film a success now. No. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Tom, what do you make of all this? And do you have anything to say about Tom Ron- Tom Rothman's salty comments? <laughs> um, I mean, see, like as you guys both said, we've kind of not spoken wholly positive about Venom Two: Let There Be Carnage on the show. I initially had some excitement for it because Carnage was there, and I just remember that first trailer coming out, and it just killed my hype for it completely. No trailer has ever killed my hype for a film so quickly as that one. Just and I had convinced myself that, like, look, it's gonna be a successful film because Venom is an incredibly popular character, and the first film, as you said, inexplicably made over eight hundred million. Um, but to see it make ninety fucking million, I, I'm happy. Like, it's it's weird because, like, I'm happy because, like, it's a good boost to cinema. Shows that Sony made like the right choice in the, this regard. And it could set a good precedent going forward. But why did it have to be this film? <laughs> this film, which is like, I've been to the cinema so many times recently, and my mates have gotten a good laugh out of the fact that every time the Venom trailer comes on, they can hear me just whisper to myself, this fucking movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just following me around everywhere. I know I'm going to have to review it. And uh, I mean, hey, I could watch it and I could love it. And it could be amazing, and who knows? You know, maybe I'll 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 put out a public apology, and we can all shut up about it forever. But overall, it is very good that uh, it has made this money, that it is showing that cinema can still survive. Um, but as Dave said, we do need to see it for a film like June, um, or even like some other smaller, newer film, uh, just to make sure that it isn't. You know, we're not just seeing these like big tentpole, huge franchise movies all the time. I would say I want I want to see Last Night in Soho do very well. That's the one. Yes, that, yeah. yes, yeah. I I'm excited for that one, and I want that. To I was going to well. say something like The French Dispatch, something which is just left field, which would do well. Mm. Yeah, and as for Mr. Rothman's comments, um, I love them. Uh, <laughs> he is a great man. Uh, I've I, I I love him. He's he's my new favorite uh, chairman. Uh, if one can have such a thing. Um, but yeah, I, um, I think he's right. The death of movies has been greatly exaggerated. I know we were having a panic. Well, we weren't. I think the three of us, we were all quite optimistic generally. But, you know, there were some worrying signs. Um, so to see everything bounce back quite well with uh, No Time to Die, Shang-Chi, and now Venom. Hopefully this is a trend that can continue. And uh, we're back. People have been predicting the death of cinema since the television was invented. <sighs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Then then VHS, they're like, oh, that's it. They're all going to be watching movies at home now. <laughs> and then Betamax. And then well, and the rest is history. <laughs> and here we are still. Even with hundreds and hundreds of hours on streaming, we're still going to the cinemas to see, for some reason, two big slimy white dudes <laughs> beat each other to death. So... But hey, it's good for cinema and it's it's good for Sony. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see if this film also has legs because that's also, you know. Well, they're symbiotes. So I'm sure they can make as many legs as they want. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. <laughs> no, I think because obviously it's got a good opening. But I mean, what do you guys make of, of the early reactions and the reviews coming out? You know, it seems to be another one of those, you know, dare I lump it in with, like the Fast and the, like you, Dave. You said the Fast and Furious. I would also say like the Transformers sort of films, where they are like these big, dumb Hollywood fighting monsters things film that know exactly what they are, 
and nobody really cares about the story, but people are enjoying that. Do you think it's along those lines? I think maybe. I mean... But then, like, are we ruining maybe some certain critique of cinema? And this is someone who does enjoy the Fast and the Furious films, but I'll be like... Yeah, but then are the Fast and Furious films, like, rinsed in, like, reviews? Not really. I think the a lot of reviewers will see it as their job to kind of like because at the end of the day they don't want to alienate readers either even though there might be a lot of people out there i'm, I'm doing the hands again which might be <laughs> which might say like oh well you know like if you know film critics don't uh, say what any of us think but they do look at what people are saying about certain things at the end of the day if somebody is there and they're into their wes anderson and they're a film reviewer and they have to go watch you know the latest how to train your dragon they're going to be like this isn't made for me how you know what audience is this for and let's look into you know like what's the expectations what do people like from the first two films etc okay yep seems to be doing more like a lot of the the audience the fans want they did that a lot with star wars you know you see even though the last jedi obviously you know the the response was very mixed you can just see from the the critics reviews that they very much expected it to be like highly praised because off the back, not to say that they would have like rinsed in the way that the fans would have if they were telling the truth or anything, but you can just tell the way that like because it had a higher rating than The Force Awakens that they kind of were like, okay, we we, we know what they want and like, oh, this is giving uh, fans everything that, that they want, what Star Wars fans want. And then they went, oh, oh, oh apparently they d- did not. Apparently not. Yeah, so <laughs> then when it comes to things like Solo and Rise of Skywalker, they changed tact a bit in, t- in terms of how they approached it. And I think it's the same here that they don't want to rile people up. They don't want to have like loads of teenagers like <laughs> attacking them on the internet. And like you said, Jake, it's that element of like, you know what you're in for. I think something like Transformers is a bit different because I don't think viewers of Transformers would necessarily read the reviews but I think some people would necessarily look at the reviews for something like Fast and Furious potentially and they don't want to upset people and they know what it is they know it is just dumb action and it's ridiculous there's no you know there's there's no going around it with the Michael Bay stuff you kind of just have to be like this is shite and like it has a bad review Fast and Furious you could still somewhat be like okay it's, it's silly but like I'll give it a positive review because it knows it's silly Whereas, you know, the Michael Bay films are just just garbage. But um <laughs> Yeah, you, you don't go to them for nuance, <laughs> no. do you? But no. I think no. that it's the same here. I think it's just that they're like, right, what the fans of this Venom franchise like? What did they like with the first one? And it's very much the same thing I've been complaining about recently as well, which is the whole like, uh, here is my short synopsis of what this film is for Twitter. I think that Act One was really good in Act Two, this happened in Act Three, and I also like this, the performances. This is not a fucking review. What are you doing, man? But this <laughs> This is what's happening. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, building up to that when I uh, <laughs> was getting revved from the internet. But they have essentially, I think, also bolstered the reviews for this. People saying, oh, it's a mixed response. I'm like, it wouldn't have had a mixed response if half of those reviewers weren't sketch- shade- scared shitless about getting knocked off of Twitter or Rotten Tomatoes because they were posting a full review on Twitter. Rant over. <clears throat> Yes, yes. Uh, I can assure you, listeners, Dave won't be scared shitless <laughs> to tell his thoughts about Venom Let There Be If you want to see my thoughts on it, go on my letterbox and click the film where 
you don't see it on a feed. You choose to see it where you go, oh, what's Dave's thoughts on this? I will click on that film and look. Not just there scrolling through your timeline. Or you can listen to our review of Yeah, it. exactly. Say, You've made a conscious have decision. Have a better time and listen to us and listen to Dave go on for 90 minutes. <laughs> we're going to get him drunk film. beforehand. But would these people want to come out of Venom 2 and just have me in their face? Like, I thought it was really good and I thought it was... No, no, they wouldn't. Like, they would prefer to go home, click on our podcast, and then listen to me talk about it at their leisure, not just have it come up when they're wanting to enjoy some memes. So anything else we want to say about Venom Let There Be Carnage? That's going to be coming out in two weeks for us, and then we'll be reviewing it. That's 15th of October in the UK. Um, so, yeah, we've got plenty more reviews to be reading, Dave, before we actually get to see the film. Is that going to hinder your viewing even more? The fact that people have said they like Act 1 and all this about Act 2 and 3 or whatever. Well, to be fair, I don't like actually read through these things because that would be kind of a bit... Yeah, wouldn't would make sense for me to be like complaining about these and actually read the full thing. So it's more that I see it and then go like, oh, and like look away. But I know it's the same as anything, I suppose. You know, like I, I'm not there like opening night of every single film. So I'm always going to hear things. Uh, so I usually just go in blank slate, fresh mind as, as much as I could, you know, even with a Marvel film, isn't it? Like there's obviously press screenings and it'll be like, this is rated 90% before it's even in the cinema. So um, I'm going to be trying to dodge spoilers like a fucking landmine. Uh, just because like, I've already seen so many people big up the post credit scene. Mm. Oh, so yeah, now yeah. that's already on my fucking mind. Like, what could it be? Um, I mean, uh, the I've said it before. The only thing I think that can really shock me is that it's actually like Tom Holland Spider Man. I already thought that, so I'm not sure if that would then shock me because I've thought of it. <laughs> yeah, no, but you know what I mean. But but I'm still a bit like, no, they're not gonna do that. It's like it's very much like Luke Skywalker in the end of Mandalorian season two. Like you, you th- it made total sense for luke skywalker to be there but you were still a bit like are they no no they're not gonna do it they're not gonna do it i'm similar that with spider-man like it makes sense maybe for him to pop up but i'm just like i would just see it as predictable and just like my worst fears has been realized in terms of the you know this sony spider-verse or worlds of spidey or whatever they want to call it but um no i i would much the only thing that would give me like respect for this film and would actually make me excited for like a post credit scene i can't think of any other like reason i would be apart from if topher grace just turns up and he's just like hey eddie <laughs> let's go have some hey, fun <laughs> <laughs> what's up that 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 would admittedly be kind of funny yeah or dr strange I was actually thinking this. No, 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 no. Literally, this, no. This was actually a theory. I had, like imagine if he needs his help, in, and that's like the big shock: is the Venom's going to be in multiverse of madness? No, he'd come, no, uh, I mean, no. We don't want to taint the MCU. We don't like if this looks so bad. We don't want to be tainted in Marvel with any of this. So that's why I'm not in support of any of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, I don't want it to happen. I'm just saying it's a big possibility. It could. Oh yeah, but I what I'm saying I'm saying what would make me happy and excited, and none of that would. I would just be like, no, <laughs> don't do this. So the only thing that would make me happy is if they just kind of go like, yeah, there's a Spider Verse in which uh, Topher Grace and uh, <laughs> and um, 
What's the guy who voices him on the animated show? Yeah, like they, <laughs> they're just all in the same universe. Yeah. Or maybe they throw us a real curveball and it's an act it's act it's Luke Skywalker. That's the cameo. It's Luke's it's just Luke Skywalker. He just shows up, slices like null in half, and it's just like, Why are you here? Full like, oh. full uncanny valley and mm. all of that. <laughs> yeah, they just no, just just bring in Tobey Maguire. Just like have him be full Yeah. Spidey three, just be like doing the dance, you know, just be like. That's what I'm saying. But um, like, they could show a Spider Man at the end, but it might not be Tom Holland. They could show either Andrew Garfield or possibly even Tobey Maguire. I realize but not, I keep saying, but like, not Tobey Maguire like in the MCU. <laughs> Tobey Maguire, just Tobey Maguire from those from some Sony Spider Man films. Nothing to do with the MCU. Just Maybe because Tobey Maguire from Sea Biscuit. Yeah. Oh, oh, we all we all want it to be Rent. Yes! Uh, right, come yes. on. Just have Toby come in and just like the scene with, you know, like Goblin Jr. Like, you're going to cry? <laughs> just have him come in and say that to Venom. I'm going to be so annoyed if it's something stupid like, oh, there's Jared Leto as Morbius. Probably. <laughs> no, I tell you what it's going to be, and this is my final one. What it's going to be is like a post credit scene where it's just like, it's basically uh, Eddie like sat on the couch. Venom's like, oh man, I'm hungry. They order pizza. Pizza man comes. He opens the door. Pizza! And then, then we were just like, oh my god. It's like, yeah. Or go. one that could be just equally as terrible as the first one. Like, cause let's let's remember, like, the, the first film, the first Venom, that Carnage scene is and always will be one of the worst end credit <laughs> set scenes wig. ever put to man. Uh so if we try and match that with a, a project that we know that's coming up in the future. Maybe uh, maybe Venom or Tom Hardy is just randomly walking along, sees a circus, is in town. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll go watch the circus. And then walks in and um, maybe he watches a show. Then he like goes backstage to go see uh, some person who was like taming the, the lions or the tigers. And then we get uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson turn around in an equally dodgy wig with some sort of like fake like hair on his chest and like a really like vivid like Flintstones kind of leopard skin costume and he's just like i knew you would be coming eventually or something like that and then it would be no no just... no, no he turns around and he goes you didn't see that yeah. coming? <laughs> <laughs> fantastic oh that would be amazing that would be amazing right uh well we'll soon find out in a couple of weeks so uh yeah we're gonna take a quick break now and then we'll go into our weekly poll list well, after X-Men hit at the box office, all the studios started buying up every comic property they could get their dirty little hands on. Okay, and now it's time for everyone's favorite segments that I don't at all hold them at hosti- hold them hostage for. It's the weekly pull list. Uh, so, got some interesting picks this week. I've actually only got one pick coming from DC. Uh, it's been a bit of a slow week in comparison to last week, where there were so many comics coming out, we kept forgetting to put some in. Um, I still maintain you should all go read Inferno. Please tell me you didn't miss me say that. Um, but yeah, we'll start with Marvel. So we got a couple of interesting picks. We've got Dark Ages issue two is coming out. This is a new series from Tom Taylor. Um, the whole of the Marvel world has gone dark. It's a very grim time. Uh, people have died. There's some awesome new uh, suits coming out. Um, but yeah, it's been a very good series. Definitely pick it up if you haven't picked up issue one. It's only going to be a limited run, so uh, it shouldn't be in a hole in your pocket too much to pick up the whole series once it's out. But uh, Tom Taylor always delivers, especially when he gets to just play around with these alternate universes. So definitely be checking that out. 
And then uh, staying with Marvel, we've got issue one of Eternals Celestia. Um, so obviously we've got the Eternals film coming up, so we've got to build up the hype train for them. And uh, shit's getting real. Um, we're looking at some real high concept sci-fi shit coming from this series. We're talking like Celestials, gods, the Eternals themselves. Um, it's it's going to be something that you want to be paying attention to. The artwork for it looks gorgeous. Um, so you should want to pick it up on that basis alone. It'll look nice on your shelves. Um, going over to DC then, my one pick there, it's a very important pick, and that's the 80th anniversary of Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman being obviously one of the most important DC characters, one of my favorite DC characters. Um, so I'll definitely be picking this up. I do love when we get these big oversized anniversary issues and we've been getting a lot of them recently um so definitely check this one out um if you've never read a wonder woman comic or if you've read loads of them check it out learn to love the character or fall back in love with the character and uh show some support there and then uh going over to idw we've got star wars the high republic adventures issue nine uh if you've been keeping up with the high republic stuff it has been getting pretty tasty uh, High Republic Adventures has been a very good series to read, so uh, maybe pick up some back issues on that, um, and maybe pick up some of the other High Republic stuff as well. Uh, the books by Charles Soule have been uh, really, really good. Um, I'm looking forward to more of them in the future. And then um, I'm going for a bit of a wild card for my last pick, and that's Vault Comics's Money Shot issue 15. If you just want a series that's just completely crazy, fun, and a little bit cheeky, probably well, not well, it's definitely not suited for kids. Uh, pick this one up it's uh it's as i said it's just fun charming and uh just batshit insane kind of dirty in places but you know a bit of fun there so uh, just reading over the whole list again we've got dark ages issue two we've got eternal celestia wonder woman 80th anniversary edition star wars the high republic adventures issue nine and money shop if you issue 15 and for my classic poll um, I'm probably actually going to go for the uh, George Perez uh, Wonder Woman run coming out of uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, so that first post-crisis run of Wonder Woman. Um, all of his run, to be honest, all I can't remember how many issues he did, but it's some of the best Wonder Woman work I've ever read. Um, and it basically gives you everything you need to know about the character, and then some. If you don't love the character after reading that, then you have no soul, my friends. So, guys, what do you think of the poll list? Anything you're picking up? Anything you want to add to it? Uh, they can be classic polls or new polls. This is a safe space. Definitely uh, going to be picking up Dark Ages 2. Because I really liked what's going on there. And uh, obviously, Wonder Woman on the 80th anniversary. I always pick up those big anniversary issues cause just because I love them so much. But the Batman and Superman ones were great as well. And uh, High Republic, yeah, I'll be definitely picking that up as well. And then some others I'd like to probably always make a pull for my boy Batman. So he's got a new issue out this week as well. But yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's my picks, I think, from the list. Good list. Yeah, I'd say I'm glad to hear that uh, uh, New Republic is... High Republic is doing well. Because uh, as we were saying with Game of Thrones earlier, you know, it's important to... To add your law, put it plenty enough in the past or the future that it you know, doesn't conflict too much with what you've already seen, and uh, so I think they had a lot riding on you know it, it going well to sort of potentially be used in the future. So I think what we've seen from the books, etc., sounds it's promising. Really good, man. 
it's honestly, I think they're doing a fantastic job in it. Because you've only read the first novel, is that right, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, I think they're doing a really good job. And I don't know if I want to see any, like, adaptations. Maybe not adaptations or, like, just TV or movies made in this world. I'm quite enjoying it on the publishing side for now. But that's just me. Yeah, I think the comic. I think comics do seem to suit it quite a bit for me anyway in terms of like books because there's some so much of that element of like oh you know they've got this lightsaber or like they've got this unique look they're this unique species so at least you get to see a bit of that in artwork etc so it lends itself quite well to comics um the only thing i'd also add as well is um because the finale of what if is come out this week i probably gonna recommend the original what if comics uh they all debut back in 1977 is when they first started publication of those. So I think the, the 13 different volumes of that. So if you can manage yeah. to pick them all up, that would be quite the collection. I highly recommend What If Ant May Became the Herald of Galactus. I, I'm not saying any more on that. Is, yeah, the first one is... Um, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? Mm. That's issue one of What If, which is an interesting one there. So well, he has been a member of the Fantastic Four. He was part of a very brief uh, Fantastic Four team that consisted of him, uh, Wolverine as Patch Adams, Grey Hulk, Joe Fixer, and uh, Ghost Rider. Yeah, I would far, I would be far more interested in what if Herbie the Robot took over from Johnny Storm <laughs> full-time just for the entire legacy of the entire i would say what if herbie the robot was ultron Mm. oh my god no that would take away from herbie's appeal i think it needs to be like (laughs) i think it needs to be what if herbie was the leader of the avengers or something like that and just like what if herbie got the infinity stones what if what if herbie committed what if everything happened in the marvel comics exactly as they already did but herbie was just there in the background being a cute little robot like a robot, like a, the watcher watching him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like that's the entire issue. It's just hit like they're like, I can never interfere. <laughs> Herbie, what do we do in this situation? He's just like, mm, I don't know. Thanks. <laughs> that's all it is. It's invaluable. <laughs> but nothing is ever solved with fire because Johnny Storm isn't there because, you know, rights issues. Rights issue. Well, uh, yeah, that, that's that's just the story of Herbie the robot. I love is the fact that he wasn't in, he was in that cartoon they made like back in the sixties or something because the Human Torch was in Spider Man and his amazing friends. So then they were like, Herbie the robot is now the replacement. For so what? They were they didn't go to the comics. They were like, what epic, awesome character could we choose? What like elemental, supernatural power character? No, no, no. We'll just choose this like little robot. <laughs> which you bought a Funko Pop of. <laughs> exactly. That's why I bought the Funko Pop. I saw it and I was like, this is meant to be. <laughs> I have to buy this. I have to buy this. Awesome. Thanks for that pull list, Tom. Some great pulls there. So people go to your comic book stores and get these. So, and also thank you for listening to this episode. We appreciate people coming on board every week, listening to us, speculate, discuss and geek out. But if they want to continue the conversation, Dave, where can they do that? And what have you got coming up? Still more packing and moving? Yeah, you can find me asleep uh, currently. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, Yeah, you can catch me over on Twitter uh, where I'm 
throw in stuff out there occasionally, really long detailed tweets such as my reaction to the Game of Thrones trailer today. And uh, yeah, just keep an eye out on things like Letterbox and uh, yeah, my socials just hopefully where I'll have some stuff up and running again soon once the move and everything is all completed. Yeah, don't waste your time following him on Letterbox. He hasn't posted anything no, since like Shang-Chi. I've been like <laughs> out of action. Offline. Offline. Disconnected. Yeah. Tom, how about yourself? Uh, well, you can mostly find... I, I give my Letterbox, but let, let's be honest, I barely use it um, as well. Um, but you can find me on Twitter at Comic Book Shogun, uh, where I'm constantly talking about The Wire at the moment, as it is the greatest TV show ever made and i will continue tweeting about it until i've finished it again but i'll throw in some occasional comic book chats um in there um so yeah that that's really the best place to find me and argue with me no one's argued with me yet i actually find it insulting that no one finds my opinions di- like divisive enough to argue with me so i think you're just damn gonna, shame you're gonna have to um make a really controversial tweet i think really controversial tweet yeah. like uh like Batman sucks. Just comment on something that is like just start commenting on ones. Just I say, just yeah, just go into like a comment section or yeah. something and start a fight there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that seems the best way to go. Okay, that, that's, that's how I get my that, kicks. That's how, that's how you're gonna do it. So um, I shan't be doing that, but you can also find me on Twitter at Sweaty Jake, and you can also find me on Letterbox, where I'm much more active than these two. Um, pulling all the films I watch and rating them. And as for the show, you can find and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Capes, Cows, Masks. Facebook, unsure if you can follow us at the minute, but we'll see what... What the hell's Facebook? Uh, (laughs) Not sure. Something of the past. Mm. Uh, And whether you use Anchor, Spotify, Apple, or Google, subscribe and follow us on there. And if you're on Apple, leave us a rating and a review as it all helps us go up in the ranking. So... Thank you for listening. We'll see you all next week where we where we will be doing our big spoiler review of What If. So stay safe, everyone. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Trot.